0: Hello, church family. It is great to be with you again. Hey, let's get into a time of worship. Everybody on your feet. Thank you so much, worship team. Hello yet again. It is great to be with you today. First of all, if there's any way we could be praying for you this week, we would love to do so. Please text your prayer request to 97000. Honestly, we'd love to pray for you this week. Go ahead and bust out your phone right now. So... It has been an amazing week here on campus at Camp ABF with all the little, little, littles running around. An absolute blast. I'm still wearing my Camp ABF shirt. It has been such a good week. That being said, it looks very interesting on campus right now. So if you are interested in coming over to the church and helping us do a little campus cleanup, we would love your help this Monday at 10 a.m. Please come on over and join us. We'd love to have you. Also on this Monday, in the evening, we are launching a women's Bible study that's going to be starting at 6.30 in the evening, led by Anita Stewart. Come on over and check that out. Again, again, that's a women's Bible study starting this Monday night. Also starting this week, it is full summer around here because we have our summer beach days starting this Wednesday afternoon over at Zuma Beach Lifeguard Tower 12, a real good time. If you're interested in joining us down at the beach, we'd love to have you out there. Finally, if you're not following us on social media, go ahead and check out our Facebook and Instagram pages. We'd love to have you uh, following us along there. And thank you so much for your continued giving. You can mail in a check or donate online. Thank you so, so much.
1: trust in you jesus you
2: Jesus and his power. Jesus gives the power to do hard things. Jesus gives the power
0: for our hope. Jesus helps us go through hard things and he helps us do the hard things that he asks us to do. He has never let me down and he won't let you down either. We don't
2: have to be fearful because we have hope in the Lord. The Lord that's powerful. The Lord that loves us, that cares for us and has an amazing plan For each one of our lives, we are made in God's image. I want you guys to understand that the best leader for you
0: is Jesus.
1: He said, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, Jesus." He gave Jesus. Jesus gives us power to be bold. Bold. I say bold. bold. I say bold.
2: Well, thanks, Josh, and uh, thank you, worship team, for leading us. And as always, just good to be together online and just having the opportunity to be in a day and age where this is possible. Uh, just thankful for that. Well, uh, I'm coming from just a just an adventure-filled week here at the church with Camp ABF. And hopefully you've gotten to see some of the highlights from that online, maybe on Facebook or Instagram, some of the things we've tried to accentuate. Really one of my favorite weeks of the year because uh, probably as I reflect on it, the thing that I love the most about camp, as much as I love little kids running around, is seeing the church be the church, where so many people are coming together using their, their gifts and their talents with one focus and one charge of trying to reach kids with the love of Jesus Christ. And so whether it's been a snack team, whether it's been the drama team, and uh, Mario does great with that with the crew, uh, whether it's the people that have been doing the setup, the stage decor, uh, so many people behind the scenes just making an amazing week and really using their gifts for God's glory. And so I love the church uh, being the church that's part of Uh, of uh, God's design for that. And so thankful for that. Thankful for everybody uh, who has played a part in that and making that happen. Well, I want to dive in. We're getting started, as Josh mentioned, with a new series. And if you've been around our church for a while, you start to notice some patterns. We typically try to work through books of the Bible, just kind of going verse by verse, chapter by chapter. But we usually take a little bit of a pause from the book studies during the summer because we realize that people have uh, different travel plans. Some of the pastors, myself uh, are are, uh, kind of in and out. And so we want to create series that allow for there to not be a continuation from one week to the next, kind of standalone messages, if you will, but still being grounded and rooted in God's word. And the fun thing is the series that we're starting allows us to do that but still points us directly into Scripture. And we're starting a new new series called Misquoted and Misunderstood. Misquoted and Misunderstood. And some of you might be thinking, yeah, it sounds like my life story. That's not what I mean when I say that. It's actually a series idea that my son Chase came up with. So props to Chase for that. The idea of Misquoted and Misunderstood is this. There are so many misuses of scripture and daily conversation that just kind of breeze by and what I believe misdirect and confuse people. And so we're going to, for the next five weeks, pick different ones that as a pastoral team we've noticed over the years, and maybe you could add to the list. I haven't chosen uh, week number five yet, and so if you have one you want to suggest, I'm open to that. But these different passages are, are quotes from scripture that people either use out of context or just are completely. Completely off base. The one that we're going to start this series with, maybe you've heard someone say this before, and maybe you've uh, even heard it on the radio or something uh, with uh, TV, is this money is the root of all evil. Have you heard that said before? Money is the root of all evil. That's a huge statement if you think about it, the saying that, that the cause or or the, the foundation of, of all evil, that's a pretty big statement, is money. That's, that's huge to say. And that really, definitely, if that's the accurate statement, if that's what God's word actually teaches that would leave us with seeing money as something you want to stay away from. You want to avoid, you want to flee it as much as possible. If it's that dangerous, that it leads to all evil is the outcome of money. And so today we're actually going to look at the verse that's actually found in 1 Timothy 6.10. And the way that it actually reads is this, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Do you hopefully see the difference in that? In the right context, it actually teaches us quite a bit about money and how it should be used. The truth is, is that money is a neutral medium although it can be exchanged as a rival God. And we're going to look at that here in our text today, realizing first that it's not always in the negative context. It can be used for, for wonderful things. So many things are ha- happen because of money being used wisely. And wealth itself, obviously, in Scripture, you see, is not something that's wrong. Deuteronomy 8.18 says God gives power to make wealth. And Proverbs 10.22 refers to wealth, As a blessing. If you spend any time in the Old Testament, you see the different stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Job, Joseph, Solomon, and David himself, a man after God's own heart, that were all blessed with large amounts of wealth. So the issue isn't money, the issue is what hold it has on you and what you do with it. We're going to spend some time looking at this verse in the right context. Let me pray, though, before we do. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to dive into some different just practical messages this summer and see where you're going to take them and maybe correct some confusion over some topics that really uh, are involved and connected to every aspect of our life. And so I'm excited to see how maybe you're going to use some of these topics to really change our thinking and our approach uh, to subjects such as this. So we invite that. We invite your Holy Spirit to be present and moving now, even in this time. In Jesus Christ's name, I pray. Amen. So starting this series, we're going to look at the right context for that verse that's been misunderstood there in 1 Timothy. Starting though in verse chapter 6, verse 6. So a little bit before that verse to make sure we have the proper Uh, context. And it really starts with some uh, just practical advice regarding contentment. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Contentment is the topic obviously there that we're spending some time looking at, and it really is something that goes against the the grain of our advertising culture. We're in a world where we're fed this idea, and actually advertisers are paid really big bucks to convince you that you need more. We're constantly bombarded with that idea all the way from the top down. Our actual economy to some degree depends on that. The John D. Rockefeller, who's one of the wealthiest people in this modern era, was famously asked how much is enough? Maybe you've heard his, this interaction, how much is enough? Asking somebody that has unlimited resources, How much? at what point do you have enough? And I love to hear his response because it actually captures the, the heart of the world that we're surrounded with. He said, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. In other words, you never quite arrive there if you're in this pursuit of, of more. And that's where it's so important as scripture tells us the exact opposite, that we're invited to a life of contentment. I've had the privilege to do some traveling and actually spending some time in different third world nations and going to different places where income levels are far below what we're accustomed to here in the States, even places where they're making less than $10 a month fully employed. You think about that, you would assume as you interact with the people that are living at that level of income, that they'd be just kind of miserable and, and frustrated with life. That's what's blown me away and kind of changed my thinking about some of this related to possessions is so often in some of these countries, you find people that are more happy than anyone I've ever crossed paths with. People that you would assume would be frustrated and discouraged at their lack of possessions are often, they have clothing, they have food, they have shelter, they have all the basic necessities and the rest so often comes down to mentality. Mentality. So often here in the United States where we're the, the the kind of the epicenter of depression and discouragement, we're the most opulent and the most wealthy. And so I've realized that maybe we're confused when we're approaching other countries trying to bring our standard of living to them. And they're saying, we don't want it. It's not necessary. Paul points out a few important facts here about what's needed as far as just food and clothing and shelter. But he also Reminds them of an important reality. Do you see it in the text? He says, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. That's such a key thing for us to allow to take root in this idea of contentment. If that really settles into our heart and mind, it changes our perspective on things. My daughter, Sienna, had this opportunity last week. My my wife has a, a friend that she's met at the gym And the the friend was having the responsibility of helping her parents move out of their existing home and into a nursing home because of failing health. And because of that, they've had to, in their existing home, really downsize. I mean, like 90% of their stuff needed to go in order to accommodate into this smaller space. And so my daughter Sienna was there helping out all week with the, this woman clearing the, the house of just, just stuff that they've accumulated, a lifetime of possessions been interesting for that experience to start to see, man, how much you actually take with you in your later years where it's like, man, it's just a few basic necessities and you start to realize the reality that it only winds down further than that. Maybe you've heard this expression before, there's no U-Hauls behind hearses, that we only leave with what we came with. That's the reality that should move us towards a life of contentment. It's so much easier to live simply. Notice Paul says it is much gain. Those who are content, much gain. We associate uh, much gain as having a lot of stuff, but he's saying just the opposite. When you're content, it doesn't matter how much you have. You're just content. It's a heart attitude. So that's what we're trying to move towards as it relates to this topic of wealth. He continues to expose what a danger wealth can be or the love of wealth. Verse nine, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs." So the question is, why is the desire to be rich dangerous? Why would would anybody say that or why would that be an idea? Because this is the the reason why we see here in the text. Because money can become a rival God. The extreme measures that somebody is willing to go to in order to get more of it can really take somebody to some really dark places. That's why we see our verse used in the right context where it says the love of money, the love of money. When it's the object of our affection, when it's misdirected worship, man, it can really lead to some bad places. Then it says when when you're loving it, when it's the object of your affection, it's the root of all kinds of evils. What does it mean by that all kinds of evils? Like I already said, it takes you to some places that you're willing to go in order to acquire more of it that really aren't of God, that aren't honoring to him. I jotted down a list of a few things you can maybe add to this list, but what are some of the evils that the love of money takes us towards? One of the first and most common and maybe even obvious is dishonest behavior. People willing to lie, cheat, and steal in order to acquire more and more wealth. I have a friend uh, even here in the church that works behind the scenes. He's actually a a, a, a police officer, and he's in the fraud department. Starting to see the l- extents that people are willing to go in order to acquire more, even if it means dis- dishonesty and taking advantage of others. I I think I've mentioned this before. We had a situation, my wife and I, some years back where she was signing up and wanted to start at a new gym. She visited this gym on a Friday afternoon and they really pushed the idea of you'll save a lot of money if you pay for the whole year in advance. It's interesting because she showed up on Monday morning with her gym bag in hand, ready to work out, only to find a for sale sign on the door, completely cleared out in the course of the weekend. It wasn't like they didn't know that they were closing when they collected the money for her for a year. Dishonest behavior. Another one I jotted down, other forms of, uh, of evil that come from it. This idea of overworking. People that are really willing to give up time, neglecting family, really having their entire focus on it, it consumes them, is a dangerous evil. Man, so many times families are broken up, kids without parents that are present and active in their life, all under this pursuit of wealth. Hoarding is another idea. Those who collect things, just more and more, I gotta have this, have this, my, my daughter, Sienna, as she's clearing out this house, she's talking about this one particular room where they'd collected all these really creepy dolls. She's like, I'm terrified to go in this space because they'd collected all these things. There's this mentality as a Christ follower that we're to open, uh, approach this life with open hands not close fists because we get into a a, a bad spot soon as something actually becomes something that you're not willing to, to let go of. I know I've personally discovered that even with uh, some fun that I've had over the years with buying and selling cars. I don't know. I know I've mentioned that before in church world about some of the the joy that that's brought me. I'm definitely a a car guy. enjoy going to car shows and all that whole uh, world. But really, I realize on a number of occasions it becomes a problem if it's not something that I'm willing to release or let go of. So I try to sell often and not get too attached to anything. So this idea of hoarding, or how about selfish indulgences, where somebody just has so much that they just keep taking in, consumer, 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 and the numbing effect that that has on somebody's life where no longer is anything a big deal at all. Another form of evil that comes from that. And this last one, and you can, as I mentioned, probably add to the list, is the mistreatment of others in order to gain financially. I guess that connects closely to the dishonesty piece, but this I think I had more in mind of somebody that starts to see people as really just a means to an end. Think about that salesperson that seems like they're interested in you, but they're not really interested. They're just wanting to close the deal. It's a dangerous, slippery slope when people become just a means to acquire more wealth. These are some of the the effects of, of this love of money. And notice the ultimate outcome it describes in the text. Some have wandered away from the faith. In this pursuit of wealth it can become so consuming that there's just not time or room for God in your relationship circle anymore because it's been, he's been crowded out. So that's the warning that Paul is giving to young Timothy as he's, as he's teaching and training uh, them for the future. So obsessed that the pursuit of wealth kind of pushes out everything else. So the desire for wealth is a dangerous trap the alternative we see in verse 11, the pursuit of righteousness instead. It says, but as for you, O man of God, that's an important statement. If you want to be about a, being a man of God, tells them to flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of the faith, take hold of the eternal life, to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We'll pause there for a moment. I like that statement. Flee these things. What's he telling them to flee? Basically, the pursuit of this rival God, recognizing that, man, it's only taking you to dark places when you actually get to them. You're kind of like, man, it doesn't even satisfy. Remember watching a, a couple years back a TV show? Maybe you've caught some episodes. It was uh, highlighting, I don't even remember the name of it, but basically it was highlighting the life after winning the lottery for a few different uh, lucky uh, people. It's interesting to see that kind of exploration of what their life was like on the other side of it. And really, I can't remember one story where their life actually got better. It's kind of the, the, the demise of most of these people as they encountered wealth, it really messed up friendships or relationships. They became numb to things. It really takes you to some really crazy places. Even think about relationally so often. I remember talking to somebody, uh, that uh, a friend that has a, a degree of wealth and he's saying, man, it really becomes even as a parent, a hard thing to navigate with your kids said, because if you give them, you have the resources. If you give them everything they're asking for, that then creates an entitled, uh, spoiled kid. But if you we withhold it, then you're seen as somebody bitter and, and, and not accommodating. And so you're kind of like, man, it's just like a, a no-win situation. So that's why scripture tells us to flee it as a man of God, as somebody that's committed to the things that are eternal, have nothing to do instead, what's the suggestion? The alternative approach to life is this, is to pursue character and personal growth. What does he list there in the text? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. You see, this is the reoccurring theme that God's more concerned about who you're becoming than what you accumulate or where you've been or what you've done He's more concerned about the the character of the man of God. For us to be intentional about that says something when he says, fight the good fight of the faith. In other words, that these things aren't things, as we've mentioned prior, these aren't things that you stumble upon. They take intentionality. So he's presenting the alternative, the pursuit of righteousness. Describes this as being the, should be the direction of our focus as somebody that's confessed and moving towards things that are eternal. The following verses, he spent some time kind of talking about in verses 13 through 16, talking about keeping the commandments and remaining unstained by the world. But then he comes back to the topic of wealth in verse 17. We've actually looked at this section more recently. I wanted to spend some time here, though, talking about what the wealthy, how the wealthy is supposed to approach life. Verse 17 says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous. And ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So he's giving a a pathway towards true life. He describes this, he says, as for the rich, some of us might think as they hear that statement, yeah, that's for the guy that I know that has the, the hundreds of millions of dollars. Let's be clear though, when he uses the description, Rich, who he's actually talking about. Before we're so quick to move on to someone else, the reality is in our world economy, if you make $45,000 or more, you're in the top 1% of the world's wealthy. The top 1% if you make $45,000 or more. So many people in our church family would describe themselves either in the top percent or definitely in the top realm of the world's wealthiest. So guess what? He's talking to you. He's talking to me. We can all be like at AA meeting, this idea, my name is Scott Kegel and I am wealthy. Like you fill in the blank. It's describing you when he's describing this, most likely. Verse 17 says, as for the rich in this present, present age, charge them not to be haughty. Haughty is not necessarily a, a word we use every day, but it's something we're all familiar with. We've all crossed paths with the, the person that, man, they, there's just something about their era, the, the, the way they come across. They're talked down to other people. It's clear and it's obvious that they have arrived financially above you. And what he's calling that person is to walk humbly, to not elevate yourself. This is a, a mental battle that you have to check yourself on often. Asking yourself, am I thinking high, more highly of myself because maybe I have uh, have a little bit more in my savings? Maybe because I've accumulated more. Truth is, if we actually are honest about possessions and the things we accumulate, is the more wealth that we have just means more that we're accountable for. As the famous rapper says, more money, more problems. I think that's how it goes. But this idea that having wealth isn't necessarily a great thing. It's more of a responsibility that we're called to be humble. Verse 17, he continues, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. So that charge to place your hope in God rather than money. Here's the reality as you reflect on your life is, is our hope has a tendency to kind of migrate from the master, who's God, God, who should be the one that we put our hope in, more towards our resources. And we maybe even have seen a, a bit of that this last year as our resources have maybe been rocked because of COVID. It makes us, leaves us anxious and, and wondering what to do because our hope, if we're honest, often is attached to our wealth. But the truth is that wealth, money, was not designed to be something that you place your hope in. Why? Because it's not something stable. My daughter, Sienna, with some of the money, actually, that she made last week, she ended up buying a, a couple shelves for her room to put a few things she's accumulated on, which is kind of ironic. But in that, she's discovered about these shelves that are just kind of free-floating on the wall is they're only able to hold certain things of weight. In fact, we had one that uh, I still think I'm trying to explain to her, you can't put something as heavy as this particular duck on that shelf, or it's going to eventually collapse. And I think about that as it relates to wealth. We often think that it's going to hold the weight of our hope, but reality happens is when the weight of life happens, you realize, man, it wasn't designed for that. It's not something that's a constant. It's something that fluctuates and can't be trusted. So don't place your hope in it. Verse 17 continues, Who richly provides, describing God, provides us with everything to enjoy. Recognizing God as the giver of all good things. I think that's so important with wealth because I don't want to only paint the picture of wealth as something being negative because scripture talks about this, that often some of the things that are given to us are directly a blessing from God. A lot of times we move towards a version of of Christianity, poverty Christianity, that we kind of feel guilty enjoying any of the luxuries or nice things of this world. And I don't think that's what God has called us towards. But what he wants us to do is make sure we're acknowledging him as the source of our resources and to fall in love with him more, not his gifts. Falling in love with him is not a problem. He say, man, all the things that he blesses us with should move us towards a gratitude and acts of worship because of his kindnesses to us. Again, wanting it to be something for us to enjoy. He provides these things with that intent in mind. says, they are to do good, to be rich in good works to do good and be rich in good works. So for the the person that's wealthy, which is us, say, man, you should be moving towards being rich in good works. I don't know how long ago it's been, but uh, probably a couple years now, they started this campaign with Honda where they have the helpful Honda guys. If any of you, I don't know if you've seen some of those commercials, but I actually kind of like them because what they end up doing is they end up surprising people with random acts of blessing and kindness. Actually, I was getting off the exit one time uh, right at, at Chesboro, And at that exit, they actually had the helpful Honda truck. And anybody that was driving a Honda, they are filling up their tank with gas for free. That was when I was pretty upset that I uh, didn't have a Honda, but then I was re- reminded that I have an electric car, so it wasn't as big of an issue. But here's the idea: here is like that, I think, is a picture of what we're called to be. We're called to be the helpful Honda guy as it relates to resources. We want to be those people within the body of Christ that are known for being just full of good works looking to bless and encourage people as much as possible. So they're to do good, to be rich in good works. Verse, second part says to be generous, to be generous. Funny thing about how generosity works, generosity tends to loosen money's grip on us. When we're giving away, when we're giving away, it's much easier to not be focused on acquiring. It's a healthy habit and making sure that resources don't come become an object of worship, but rather a source and a means to bless others. My grandfather growing up was known for this. One of the most generous people I've ever met. Anytime we were all together as a family, uh, he was the one that was picking up the tab at a restaurant. He was always the one giving gifts. He was really known to be generous It was interesting after he passed, unfortunately, at an earlier age to discover, we always assumed that he had tons of money the way he was so generous all the time. We later discovered, man, they just made ends meet. But he always made sure that he carved out enough resources to be generous and bless those around him. I love that example that he set for us. Be generous, it says. The the reason it's easy to be generous is when we start to realize that it's not our resources to begin with. We're being generous with stuff that we've been entrusted with. So it's easy to let go when you realize it's not ours. So often in Scripture we're reminded that it is all his. Job 41:11 says, Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine, for God's speaking. Exodus 19:5, all the earth is mine. Or Psalms 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. In other words, everything in it belongs to him. It changes our thinking. When we start, stop thinking with the mentality of like, well, I don't know how much of my money I wanna pass on or or to give to to help this person out or not. It's not, that's the, it's the wrong question. The question is how much of God's money should I keep And how much of God's money should I direct to others? That's the idea behind this generosity. So ready to to be generous in the last thing there and ready to share. You're ready to share. At first you're kind of like, well, what's the difference between giving and sharing? Giving and sharing, the difference between the two is this. Sharing means you've already take possession of it. And now you have to take something that you have and give it to somebody else. And what the problem, one of the challenges with that, as many of us know, is when you have something, there's a, a tendency to get attached to that thing. When you're attached to it, it's, it's a lot easier to, to give $5 to somebody than something that you cherish and value remember that one time being exposed to my own life. We had an outreach downtown Chicago where we were blessing people that were struggling with homelessness down there. And a lot of times, man, pretty desperate situations when it was in the negatives temperature-wise. I remember remember one time we were just packing up. We usually bring supplies to hand out. And there's one person that we just didn't have enough coats to go around And the person was about to to walk off and not being blessed with any kind of, of resource, even for the night ahead. And I remember how hard it was for me to unzip my coat and hand it over to him, fully knowing that I have multiple coats back in my closet at home, fully knowing that I had the ability and resources to replace that coat. That's what he's calling us to is having the grip of these things to be released on us. That's the idea of this verse and this passage. The very last thing it describes there says storing up treasure for themselves. Here's the the idea of when we're blessing others, you think of like, how is that storing up Treasures for themselves—that seems to be the opposite. It seems like you're when you're giving away. It says storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Like, how does giving store up treasures for yourself? I was thinking about that, and I believe some years back I used this example that I heard, and it's really stuck in my mind for quite a while playing the scenario out if you knew in your life that we were about to be done with U.S. currency and we were going to transition to a new currency. Let's just say we're gonna to move to the, the Euro or the yen, something else other than what we're using. And you found out that we were going to be moving to this new currency, but you didn't know when that transfer was going to take place. The question is, how would you operate in life? In life, this is how you'd operate. The practical sense of that is you would exchange as much as possible for that new currency. And you would try to live as simply as possible. You wouldn't want to keep out too much more than was necessary for the day or the week, of he- or the week ahead. I think there's something to that as, it re- as we think through kingdom currency, this idea of when we actually bless others, we're setting up for a future kingdom. You're saying, we we don't know when our last breath is going to take place and when the currency of this world no longer matters. No longer matters. So we want to do things to prepare for the future. When the Lord returns and all of this becomes nothing and just a distant memory, we want to exchange as much as possible. You, You hear it said so often that somebody will comment, they'll be like, well, you can't take it with you. I would actually argue with that statement. I would say that you can take it with you. You just have to exchange your currency for kingdom currency. That's the whole idea that this passage presents. That something that's lasting is the impact that we've had on those around us with the resources we've been entrusted with. Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to look at this text and this verse specifically and learn a little bit about your heart for money. That you're, it's not not a negative thing. It can be used in wonderful ways. You're not calling us to give away every single resource that we have, but as the wealthy, we need to be not putting our hope in it, not trusting it, not being haughty. We need to be looking for opportunities to be generous, to give, to give things and to share things. God, I, I thank you that your word outlines what it actually looks like to exchange the things of this earth to things that are eternal. You know that we can only do this stuff with the power of your Holy Spirit working in our lives and convicting and encouraging. I pray for any of us here that have maybe allowed wealth or the pursuit of it to become a rival God. That's just gotten too much of our attention. It's gotten too much of our focus and it's damaging ourselves and those around us without us realizing it. I pray that this might even be this message and this topic might even be a a coming back, coming back to you as the rightful object of our worship. We pray that in Jesus Christ's name, amen.
3: the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who will ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. side All the praise.
2: right, church family. Well, again, thanks for being with us online. And as usual, my hope is never for a a message about a topic like this to come across as uh, guilt-inducing. It's intended to move us to a picture of what wealth can be, how it can be used for the kingdom to glorify God. Anyway, we can serve you this week. Always feel free to reach out. Again, God bless you. Have a great week.